This morning, uh, we continue our series on starting right, and today, I want to take you into a, uh, into a topic entitled, Passionate in Prayer. Passionate in Prayer. Let me begin by saying this. There was a little boy that was acting up in church, you know, just won't settle down and beginning to make a lot of noise. And the father tried to calm the boy down, but to no avail. And in the end, he had no choice but to pick his son up, throw him over the shoulders, and was marching him out of the hall. And just as they reached the door, the kid turned to the congregation and shouted, Pray for me! Pray for me! <laughs> How many of you know that's a smart thing to do? You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that prayer is one thing that we all do when we need help. Prayer is one thing we all do when we need help. But ironically, at the same time, prayer is one thing that we all need help in. Think about it. Prayer is one thing we all do when we need help. But at the same time, prayer is one thing we all need help in. One definitive statement that I believe I can say for every single one of us here in this hall would be this. Everyone in this hall is dissatisfied with his or her prayer life. Do you think that's a true statement? I think everybody in this hall is dissatisfied with their prayer life. Anybody here very satisfied with your prayer life? Can I see your hands? <laughs> yeah, it's a deep, you know how I found out? I actually found this out uh, because when, when I first started mentoring, I discovered it. You see, when I first started mentoring, it was many, many years ago, I have a group of 12 young people that I was kind of spending time with and mentoring. And so we decided as part of our mentoring process, at the start of the year, we will come together and then we set goals, spiritual goals for the year. And one of those goals that we always set is on prayer. And invariably, what I found is this, that every three months, we will come together and when we review our goals, you know, how are we doing in those areas? And when it comes to prayer, what happened is this, at the start of the year, we all say, I want to pray one hour a day. One hour during those days seems to be the magic number. Everybody want to pray one hour a day. Three months later, we come together, they all reduce it to 45 minutes because it wasn't quite happening. And then another three months, we meet again, review the goals, they reduce it to 30 minutes. Usually by the end of the year, we end up with about, on the average, 20 minutes. And then I discovered from there, you know, prayer is something we all need help in. How many of you agree? And if this is an, prayer to me is such an interesting thing. It's interesting because everybody talks about prayer, everybody believes in prayer, Everybody wants to pray, but yet it seems like everybody struggles with it. Why? Here's what I like to do. Before I bring you to a passage, which uh, we, we always do, just to take a passage and then we exposit it. But before I bring you to that passage, here's what I like to do. I want to outline for you first three common hindrances. Why is it that people struggle with their prayer life? And then after that, I give you one primary solution. And this is where I will take you to that passage. But let me just quickly outline for you three common hindrances to prayer. And then you tell me whether it's true or not in your life, okay? Common hindrance number one is this. It's called the bait of laziness. Okay, I'll be very practical with you. I think it's the bait of laziness. The lazy man does not, will not, and cannot pray because prayer demands energy. Prayer is work, it's strenuous work, 
And I think it's worked because it is not in the sin nature to actually want to pray. It's not in our sin nature to want to pray. But here's the thing. When you walk in the new nature that God has given to us, then prayer becomes spontaneous. When we are walking in that new nature, prayer almost becomes like breathing. It's as natural as breathing. How many of you are breathing this morning? <laughs> yeah, you should be. Okay, it is, it, is, uh, it is unconscious, but it is happening, right? All of us are breathing, and we, we're not even conscious of it. But that's how prayer works sometimes. We almost pray without realizing it. Have you ever experienced this? You're walking along the street, and then you see some people behaving very badly. And as you walk past, you watch this whole thing, the next thing that comes out of your mouth is this, Lord, how come people behave like that? What have, what have you done? Hello? What have you done? You just prayed, you know. No, you, you, you're driving into this busy shopping mall on the weekend and all the parking lots are taken up and as you drive in and people are moving all around trying to find a parking lot, but just as you drive in, the guy right in front of you reverse out and drove off and then you shoop, you go in. And then what's the first thing you say? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Guess what you have done? You just pray it, you know? Prayer is as spontaneous as that. And sometimes we don't even realize it. You see, and, 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 and the mystics used to say this. The mystics used to say that prayer is simply keeping company with God. What is prayer? Prayer is when we keep company with God. Now, having said that, having, having brought up the spontaneity of prayer, the naturalness of prayer, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 the Apostle Peter also challenged us with this, and he says this, the end of all things is near. In other words, time is urgent. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled and disciplined. Self-controlled means discipline, so that you can pray. In other words, brothers and sisters, we also need discipline in order to maintain a consistent prayer life. And I tell you, the disciples also had the same problem. They were so close to our Lord Jesus, and yet when Jesus took three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, remember? And he took them to the Garden of Gethsemane. For what? To share with them his most sorrowful hour. He brought them to the Garden and said, would you watch with me for one hour? And then what happened to these three guys? They all fell asleep, am I right? So be encouraged. If you are one of those that fall asleep when you pray, you are in good company. The company of Peter, James, and John. <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, um, our church during that time used to call for early morning prayer, 6 a.m. Every day, they call for early morning prayer. I used to get up and struggle, you know. And then I'll pray and fall asleep, pray and fall asleep. I was so demolished, so discouraged. Until I went to my mentor, I shared with him, this is what's happening. I, I fall asleep all the time. And I was so encouraged when he said to me, he says, Benny, don't worry. At least you sleep in the presence of God. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we all struggle with that. I understand. But I also want to give you some practical remedy, right? Some practical help. Now, if you're one of those that, that pray and then you fall asleep, here's what you can do. Number one, you can watch and pray. Okay, just watch and pray. Open your eyes and pray. Okay, open your eyes and pray. There's nothing religious about it. It's just that you're less likely to fall asleep if you pray with your eyes open. 
Now, but of course, I'm fully aware that many church members have mastered the art of sleeping with their eyes open. So you could be staring at me right now, but your mind could be in Afghanistan, I understand. Now, so if you're one of those that can sleep with your eyes open, then here's the second thing you do. You walk and pray. Now, I actually enjoy this. One of my best praying posture is I keep my eyes open, I keep my legs moving, and I talk to God, I pray. My best prayer posture is walk around and talk to God. Now, you happen to be one of those that can still sleep with your eyes open and your legs moving. You go and see past, uh, Auntie Ruth, I think you need deliverance. You, know? so, uh, you get my point. You watch and pray. You, know? you, you walk and pray. Now, our goal, brothers and sisters, is simply this, to develop an authentic prayer life. Develop an authentic prayer life where you keep company with God, you're in communion with God, you're in conversation with God, stripped away all the man-made rules of prayer. And you bring prayer back to its basics, which is simply this, keeping company with our awesome God. Keeping company with someone who loves you and you love them. Have you ever experienced this? I keep company with my wife, right? Once a week on a Monday. And have you ever ex experienced this? That sometimes when you keep company with someone you love, there are days when we have a lot to tell one another. I just come back from a trip. I just did something. And then I have a lot to talk to her. But there are some days we really have not much to say. <laughs> but we are very contented just to sit down and we read a book together or enjoy a cup of tea quietly with one another. But what are we doing? We are keeping company with one another. Why? Because I love her and she loves me and I enjoy her company. She enjoys my, my company. Are you with me? And prayer is like that. We're keeping company with God. There are days when I have so much to tell the Lord. There are days when God has a lot to tell me. There are also days when I'm just happy to sit in His presence and allow Him to love me and for me to love Him and to be in communion with Him. Here's my point. Let's not make prayer complicated. Bring it to its fundamentals. Keeping company with God. You know, you don't need to have special tone and slang in order for God to hear you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we worship Thee. You don't need that. That's just being religious. I think we can just talk to God as we are. Be yourself. There's no need, by the way, to have to pray 16 adjective King James Version prayer before God can understand you. Some of us complicate it so much. Oh, eternal, unchanging, immutable. So many adjectives and then you can say God. And you make, <laughs> you know who are the people who make it so difficult? It's guys like me la, who come out to the pulpit and we pray all this bombastic, you know, very 16 adjective King James Version prayer. And then you know what? The new... New, new Christian is thinking as they sit there listening to us pray this 16 adjective kind of prayer. You know what they're thinking? They're sitting there and say, wow, prayer very difficult. Prayer difficult. No, I didn't dare not pray. <laughs> and then they can end up in church huh, for two years and still dare not pray in public because they keep thinking that prayer has got all this complication. No, it's very simple. You know, you don't even need to have perfect English before God can understand you. God understands the language of the heart. Are you with me? You can even pray in Singlish like us, you know, Asian accent. And she still gets it. God still hears us. You know, have you ever heard this story? There's this pastor who got up and he prayed passionately, you know, out of all of his heart he prayed. 
And then at the end of it, he came down and this, there was this English professor in his church. The English professor came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, your prayer, very good. You know, but this part, uh, grammatically wrong. You know? This part, there's a wrong usage of this word. And on and on she went. Finally, the pastor turned to her and said, Sister, I think it's okay. Because after all, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> prayer is talking to God. You know, and God understands your heart and He hears your heart. Don't have to complicate it. That's why I never like, you know, chain prayer. You know what chain prayer is? Like sometimes we do in connect group, you know. You have chain prayer, either clockwise or anti-clockwise. Everybody take turn, you know, listen, pray. And then clockwise, anti-clockwise. I never quite like that sometimes because you know why? You know what is the purpose of corporate prayer like that? It's so that we can agree with one another so that we can exercise the power of agreement. If two agree as touching anything, it shall be done, you see. So when I'm praying, when the first guy is praying, what are the rest supposed to be doing? They're supposed to agree. They're supposed to say, yes, amen. Praise God, amen. That's what we're supposed to do. But normally, when the first guy is praying, guess what the rest are doing? They're not agreeing, no? They're formulating their prayer. They're all thinking what to pray or what to pray. <laughs> And you know the worst thing is if you are if you are anti-clockwise, anti-clockwise, you wish uh, that you are the last one, you know. So you got plenty of time to work out your prayer. <laughs> but the worst thing is that wow, you will take all the time to work it out, and then the guy just before you, uh, go and pray the thing that you want to pray. Xiao <laughs> Liao. <laughs> you know why you laugh? Because it's true. You experience it. But that's I prefer prayer to be spontaneous. That when you pray, I agree. When I pray, you agree. And then together, corporately, we lift the, 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 the burdens of God back to Him. That's what prayer is supposed to be. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, prayer is not an art. It is a cry from the heart. That's what it is. And people, we need to overcome the bait of laziness, pull ourselves by the belt. We discipline ourselves to do the vital work of prayer. We move it, you know, from a desire to a discipline. From a discipline, it becomes a delight. You do that in our individual closet, and when we come together in corporate prayer, it will happen. Number one, get up from the bed of laziness. Here's number two. You climb out from the valley of doubt. Sometimes we don't pray because we are not motivated to pray. Why? Because we prayed and then we did not get answers. So we have no more incentive to pray. Doubt begins to slip in and faith is watered down. And hear me, without faith, prayer has no power. Even Jesus was powerless to perform more miracles in Nazareth. Why? Because of the people's lack of faith, according to Mark chapter 6. But yet I tell you, the Bible is a book full of answered prayer. There's a total of 667 recorded prayers, one, one author said, uh, in the Bible. 667 recorded prayers, of which 500, 454 are already answered. Recorded answers are there. The rest are in the future. And you hear me, brothers and sisters, prayers cannot be answered until they are prayed. So don't give up, but keep praying. One illustration I can think of would be if you take a rechargeable battery, you know, one of those rechargeable battery, and it has run dry. So what do you do? You hook the, char the battery to a charger, right? Then you hook the charger to, a, to, to, the, to the socket. Then you plug it in. 
Then what do you do? You throw the switch. What do you expect to see? Explosion? No, no, you, in fact, you see nothing. But does that mean that nothing is happening? Absolutely not. Power is flowing all this while. Even though you see nothing on the outside, power is flowing from the, from, the, from the mains to the charger to the battery, from the mains to the charger to the battery. All the while, power is flowing, even though we don't see it. It's the same in prayer. Sometimes we pray, and then we don't see anything. Does that mean that nothing is happening? Absolutely not. In the unseen realm, power is released. In the unseen realm, spiritual activities are happening and the power of God is flowing. In the second heavens, you know, warfare is going on. Spiritual activity is being released and the power of God is flowing. John 11 verse 40 says this, right? Jesus said, if thou would believe, you will see the glory of God. In the realm of the natural, seeing is believing. We all do that in the natural realm. Show me the money and I'll show you the goods. That's our mentality. Seeing is believing. But in the realm of the spiritual, believing is seeing. We don't see in order to believe. We believe in order to see. And may God help us to exchange our doubts for His faith. We get up from the bed of laziness, climb out of the valley of doubt, and conquer, thirdly, the absence of passion. Why people don't pray is because something, there's no more zeal inside. The lack of passion. Another common reason or for decay in our spiritual life is the lack of spiritual passion. And to develop a regular prayer life, we must really want it. You must want to have that. Many believers say they have no time to pray, but the truth is this, we always find time to do the things we really want to do. Is that right? We always find time to do the things that are important to us. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Remember, I talked to you uh, on this at the beginning of the year. Don't be lacking, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If a lack of desire is keeping us from developing that consistent prayer life. We ask God to fill us with the power and the zeal and the passion of the Holy Spirit. I started driving, you know, at a very late age of 27. Now, most people in Australia start driving by the time they're 18. I, I actually started driving very late, 27 years old, and I learned to drive. And when I first start, got my driving license, I was... Uh, a full-time minister of the gospel. I had very little money. I couldn't afford a car. So a good friend of mine loaned me his old car. It was actually a Mazda 3, it's a Mazda 323, very, very old car. And, but I was so happy that I got wheels that can take me from point A to point B. I literally drive that old Mazda 323 like as if it's a Mercedes SLK, you know, everywhere I go, I'm so proud of it. And then one day, I went to visit this friend who loaned me the car. So I, was, uh, I got into his house. I was reversing the car into the parking lot. Then he noticed you know, that I was kind of struggling with the wheels, trying to get the, the manu maneuver the car. So he came out to me after that and said, why is your car so sluggish? And that was the first time I discovered actually that car got power steering. But I was... <laughs> struggling with it. It was run out of power steering oil. So this guy went into the garage, he came out, took a bottle of, of uh, power steering oil, he poured it in. After that, I drive like that, you know. Wow, <laughs> amazing. And 
all this while, I'm struggling with my own strength when actually all that was needed is some oil. Get the point? We struggle in our own spiritual life. We struggle trying to live out our own spiritual life when what we really need, we need a whole dose of the Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh and fill us with zeal and passion. There are many Christians struggling to live out their Christian life when all we need is to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want you to know that we need not struggle in our own strength because we had the power of the Spirit resident within us. You can ask Jesus to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit and let Him transform your prayer life. Three common hindrances that we all need to conquer, the bait of laziness, right? The valley of doubt and the lack of passion. But I want to end this morning by giving you one key reason, one primary solution to all this. Why should we pray? And I want to take you now to Luke chapter 11. And to me, this is one of the most important theological premise for praying. And it, will, it renovated my life. It renovated my whole mindset. And it gave me a theological impetus to overcome all the hindrances that we talked about this morning. And when I begin to understand Luke chapter 11, it really helped me to get up from the bed of laziness, to climb out of the valley of doubt, and to conquer the absence of passion. I believe the answer is found not in a better way to pray, not in a better method of praying. It is really found in a right view of God. I think the answer is found in a right view of God because theological belief determines practical behavior. If we get our theological roots right, if we get our theological anchors right, it will inform us on what we should do. Our practice must come out of our theological belief. So I want to take you now to go with me to Luke chapter 11, which is my passage for today. Can I invite you now, go with me to Luke chapter 11. Uh, it's a famous passage and we're all aware of it, but I want to walk you through this. You go to Luke chapter 11. Are you with me so far? Okay, here comes, I've given you the issues we had to overcome, but I'm now going to give you the answer. Here we go to Luke chapter 11. I read from verse 1. Listen to this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus said to them, when you pray, you say this, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus went on to say to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are already in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, uh, in the King James Version, it will say because of your importunity. NASB will say because of your persistence, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and you'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There was one fateful morning when the disciples were watching their master in private prayer. Jesus was praying before the Father. It seems like to the disciples that time stood still in that holy moment. And they knew somehow that they were standing on holy ground. So they waited with the bated breath for the master to finish. And when the master finished, they turned to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. How many of you agree? We, God also needs to teach us how to pray, right? So the disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. But you notice what the disciples were asking. They were asking specifically this, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. In other words, they were actually not looking for the essence of prayer, but what they were asking is a formula for prayer. Give us, teach us how to pray, just like John taught his disciples. They were actually asking for a methodology. They were asking for some handles to help them to pray better. Okay, I will put it this way. They were actually asking, Lord, if John the Baptist has his formula for prayer, give us your formula. What's your formula? Question. Did Jesus give them what they asked for? Did he give them a formula? Uh, in some sense, I believe he did. He gave them a pattern, right? And he, so he immediately went on to give them a pattern for prayer. But I'd like you to notice that he, Jesus actually went beyond just giving them a pattern or a model prayer. He went beyond that to actually give them, um, he took them further to not only to know how to pray, but actually to see who are they praying to. He took them beyond just giving them some handles for prayer, but actually get them to see the God that they were praying to. Okay, and Jesus began to reveal to them and to us the theological foundation upon which all of our prayer must be based on. And this is what makes our prayer meaningful. So what I'd like to do now, allow me to take you through, uh, through the passage because this is one of the most important things I believe that Jesus ever taught about prayer. So when the disciples asked Jesus for a formula for prayer, Jesus, you notice, did not rebuke them for their shallowness or their superficiality, but he met them where they are, and he actually gave them a pattern for prayer. Then he said, okay, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and etc." Okay, and what is that? That prayer has now been known, commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Many of us see it as the Lord's Prayer. And in many, many traditional churches, they will recite this prayer whenever they gather. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. We almost memorize it because it's being recited in many, many uh, traditional churches. But 
it's called the Lord's Prayer, but actually I think it's more appropriate to call it the Disciples' Prayer since it is meant for the disciples to pray, not for the Lord to pray. Right? It's actually a model, a, a, a pattern He gave to them for their prayer. But it's a framework okay, for their prayer. But beyond that, I think Jesus wanted them to know the theological basis for prayer. How many of you know you can actually take a formula like that or a pattern like that and then you recite it without, without actually meaning it? Hello? You, you actually said it, but you don't actually know what it means and you don't actually understand what you're saying. We just go through the motion. Okay, it's so easy to do that. Now, but, the, but Jesus actually wanted them to go beyond that. But because without a biblical foundation, prayer is useless. And to help them to capture this principle, notice that Jesus went on to tell them a parable on prayer. Okay, so in order to help them to go beyond just the method, he told them a parable. And the parable is recorded for us in verse 5 to verse 8 about a man coming to a neighbor, coming to a friend, and asking for bread. Now, you need to understand that culturally, providing hospitality is a very big thing in the Middle East. It is very, very shameful not to be able to provide for a friend who comes to visit you. So if someone come and visit you and you've got nothing to put before them, it's very shameful. So there is this sense of urgency and desperation that forms the backdrop to this parable. So what do you do if you are caught off guard? You know, your friend come and visit, you've got nothing in your pantry. So what do you do? He goes to another friend, knocks on the door, and then he asks for bread. And this guy wasn't too keen to give it to him, but he, he, he keeps knocking, keeps asking, and then in the end, this guy got up and gave him what he needed. Now, let me ask you, what is the point of this parable? What does it teach you about prayer? What does that teach you about prayer? The most common answer will be persistence in prayer, that we need to persevere in prayer if we want to see breakthroughs. Now, but here's my, my point. I think that is not the main point of Luke chapter 11. Although persevering in prayer is a valid prayer principle, and there are many other Bible passages of Scripture that deals with it. For example, Luke chapter 18, it deals with that, persistence in prayer. But I don't think that is the main emphasis of Luke chapter 11. Because if it is about persistence in prayer, then you know what? We will all end up with a God who is sleepy. A God who refused to get up for us until we wear Him out with our persistence. But how many of you know we serve a God who neither slumber nor sleep? See, and, and we must not walk away and we cannot end up with the wrong theology of a God who is reluctant to answer our prayer. He is not a reluctant God. We cannot walk away with this understanding that we have a God who needs us to pester Him, to beg Him, to untwist Him before He responds to us. Are you with me? It's not like that. If we base our prayer on such a theology of a reluctant God, then prayer becomes a laborious duty rather than a thankful delight. And people, I do not believe that we need to perform spiritual calisthenics, you know, before God will hear our prayer. I believe we serve a God who is more than willing to hear our prayer. He is ever ready to respond to us. So what is going on here? I think the key to understanding this parable is to realize, listen, don't miss this, huh? you get this point. 
the, the key to, to understanding this parable is to realize that this is a parable of contrast. Everybody say contrast. Uh, uh, say it one more time, contrast. Very important word because it is, it's a it's very common Jewish practice to actually use contrast as a means of getting their point across. And Jesus told this parable of a very unwilling friend who told his neighbor, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I'm already in my PJs. I cannot get up and give you anything. But here's the point. Your friend is like that. But in total contrast, our God is not like that. This friend is like that. Reluctant. But our God is not like that. And that's why after telling the parable, Jesus gave us the application. And what he said in his application is verse 9 and 10 where he says this, And I say to you, Ask and you'll receive, you'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, find. And he who knocks, the door will be opened. How many of you agree there's no reluctance here at all? There's nothing reluctant about that. In fact, you know, you see the contrast here? This friend is so unwilling. But because this friend keeps asking, he ultimately got up, gave him what he wants. But our God is not like that. He is more than willing. That's why he said, ask and you receive, seek and you find, knock and it shall be open. No ifs, no but, no maybe, can be, should be, but it is, it is no doubt at all. Ask and you receive, seek and you find, knock and it shall be open. And God is no respecter of person. He said, for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone includes you and me. Somebody say amen. Now, this brings us then to the most important principle. He gave us a pattern, right, to help us. Then he gave us the parable to help us understand that we don't serve a reluctant God. And then he tell us what is the important principle on prayer. And so you notice that Jesus knew, you know, I think Jesus is so perceptive, he's so discerning. He knows that if he just leave it at that point, the disciples, just like us, can walk away thinking that it's all about how hard we pray, how persistent we, we press in, etc. And then miss the main point of what he's teaching. So immediately after he told the parable, gave the application, immediately after that, Jesus gave another illustration just to nail the point. He gave you another illustration uh, so that our prayers can be based on this. Look at verse 11 to 13 now. Listen to this. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, how many of you know there's an illustration? Right? If your son asks for a fish, you give him a snake instead. Uh, if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Now, obviously, this is a rhetorical question. Of course not, right? Then, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Brothers and sisters, if we as fallen people know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our willing God Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Why the Holy Spirit? It's because the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us in our prayer life. And this is all about prayer, right? And He says, uh, you ask. He will give you the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is who, who will enable you in your prayer life. If we who are earthly know how to do this, how much more will God be willing? 
you see? And we want, in, you know, right, as earthly parents, we all want our children to excel us. If I got a degree, I want my children to get masters. If I got a masters, I want him to get a doctorate. Does that make sense? We always want the next generation to excel us in abilities, in accomplishments, in anointing. How much more will our Heavenly Father go on, want us to go beyond? And this is the point. We are coming to a God of the how much more. And He is totally opposite of this unwilling friend in the parable. If this unwilling friend can be pestered, you know, into answering your call, how much more will our willing God respond to you and me? Brothers and sisters, we do not come in prayer to a reluctant God. We are coming to the God of the how much more. And with a God like that, you know, all of a sudden, we see prayer differently. All of a sudden, you realize prayer is not about biting our tongue and pressing on. It's not just how hard we pray, how much we pray. It's not just about increasing our efforts or performing harder, but it is about knowing who we are coming to. You are coming to a God of the how much more. It's easy to miss the main point because the King James Version used the word importunity. NASB used the word persistence. The original Greek word is anadiah, which literally means without shame. I think the NIV translated it quite accurately and quite beautifully with this word. Or, um, he calls it shameless audacity. Wow, beautiful word. When we come in prayer to God, we come with shameless audacity. I'm shameless because he has taken away my shame on the cross of Calvary. I come audacious, courageous, boldly because I'm coming to a God of the how much more. I'm coming to a God who is for me, not against me. Are you with me? And with a God like that, why don't we pray? If we are coming to a God of the how much more, then how much more should we be engaged in prayer? Then instead, you know, of uh, we, we, we suddenly realize that prayer is not a goal we need to achieve. It's actually a gift to receive, you know. I'm receiving a gift of prayer. I get this great privilege of coming into the presence of a God who is for me, not against me. A God is more than willing to hear my prayer. A God who can't wait, you know, to respond to us. With a God like that, what a privilege it is. I come with shameless audacity. Not based on who I am, based on what he has done for me. I come boldly to that throne of grace. And I say, God, I cry out to you. It's not how we pray. It's who you are praying to that is fundamental. I am praying to a God who is seated on the throne of grace. What a privilege it is for us to be able to come boldly, unashamedly to this great God of the universe and tell him what we need. And he is willing not only, willing, but a, not only willing, but able to answer your prayer and to go beyond everything you ask or imagine. With a God like that, how much more should we and I engage in prayer? So why worry? Why not pray? Why fret? Why not pray? Why complain? Why stress? Why grumble? Why not pray? Because prayer is what will change our circumstance. And God 
It's a God like that. I'm coming to this wonderful God of the how much more. If you have a need this morning, you come. He is a wonderful God. And that's why I pray. That's why I think I can climb up from the bed of laziness. You know, climb out of the valley of doubt. And we can conquer our lack of passion. Holy Spirit, enable me so that I can pray. Let me bring this to a conclusion. Huh? This God of the how much more is here this morning. He's here not only to hear and to answer our prayer, but I think He can go beyond what we can ask or imagine. So why don't we come to Him in bonus, in shameless audacity, and we make our requests known to Him. Philippians 4, you know, verse 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul challenged us, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make a request known to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a great, um, I'll finish it. This is a great storyteller on radio by the name of Paul Harvey. And i never forget this story he told about a boy who went to the shops one day with a mum for shopping. And uh, this boy had a real weakness, you know, for chocolate chip cookies. But he was getting a little bit obese, you know, so the mom was very worried. So when they went to the shop, the mom knew that the boy is going to ask for chocolate chips cookies, you know. So he said to the boy just before they enter the shopping centre, he says, today you're not getting any chocolate chip cookies. Don't even ask. And the kid said, okay. So he went inside, he put the boy, you know, in one of those trolleys where you could sit the, the kid there and he was going up and down the aisles. Everything was going okay until they reached the cookies section. And as he moved the, the trolley into the cookies section, the boy stood up on his uh, trolley and then he turned to the mom and said, Mom, can I have some chocolate chip cookies, please? And the mom said, I already told you no. Then he sat down. And then he went on. A little while later, again, he stood up and said, Mom, please, can I have some chocolate chip cookies? And the mom said, I already told you, don't even ask. And then they entered into the checkout line. And the kid, no, it is now or never. <laughs> so as they joined in the, check li- check out, the checkout line, the kid stood up on his, on his seat. And then with shameless audacity, he shouted, you know, In the name of Jesus, can I have some chocolate chip cookies, please? Thank you. And then he sat down. Everybody burst out laughing, you know, just like you. Everybody burst out laughing. And then, you know, know, according to Paul Harvey, the great master storyteller, he said, due to the generosity of the other shoppers, that little boy left the shop with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies that day. This God of the how much more is here this morning. He will not only hear your prayer, but He will go beyond what you can ask or imagine. You know what we need is to realize that we are coming to a God like that, a God of the how much more. And because we are coming to a God that is so good, and we're coming to a God who loves us, who did everything on the cross for us. I want you to know that you can come with shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. Because 
you are no longer shameful. Your shame is taken on the cross of Calvary. You have become shameless. And you can be bold because you have a God who is for you and not against you. So you come boldly, shamelessly. And then you say, God, help me. Because apart from you, I can do nothing. I cannot overcome in my own strength. So Holy Spirit, enable us this morning to come to you. Amen.